Aren't you thankful for the power of the cross? Amen, everyone. We stand forgiven. Excuse me, got a little froggy back there. Happy Easter, everyone. Glad you're here. It's going to be a great day. It's already been a great day. Uh, For everybody who got up this morning, I mean, you guys look good. You look good. Everybody who got up and thought about your outfit, we see you. We, We see you. For everybody, you got up and you're just happy your socks match. We're glad you're here. We're, we're glad you're here. Amen. <laughs> Excited about you. We are. Everyone uh, watching online, uh, we just want to say welcome. Glad you could uh, join us today online, wherever you are. Uh, this is our Easter celebration service um, this year. I- I'm believing that this is going to be somebody's that day. Yeah. Amen. Amen, everybody. That day that everything changed for them. I remember that day for me. It's, it was... It was uh, 1987, uh, I, had, I had that day that changed everything for me, and uh, the reason why I'm here today is because of that day, and uh, I'm excited about it, I really am. If you're new with us, my name is Darian Rains. Uh, my wife and I launched Your Place Church 13 years ago this month, um, amen, praise God, <clears throat> in, a, in, a, in a rented warehouse that you could see the forklift tracks in the floor. We had 50 rented metal chairs and a borrowed sound system. Um, and we, we pulled the trigger on, on Your Place Church on April the 12th, 2009. But the Lord's been so good to us. He really has over the last 13 years. So many people have found Jesus through the mission and vision of Your Place Church. And now that old warehouse is looking less and less like a warehouse. Starting to look more and more like a venue that Jesus is proud of. Amen. I mean, he was proud of the stable. He's proud of that warehouse. He's proud of what it is today. Praise God. We're excited about that. Uh, so we're super honored that you, um, that you chose to spend part of your Easter Sunday with us. Even if you're on the fence about this whole Jesus, God, church thing, it's all right. It's all right. You can, you can, you can belong before you believe. It's what we believe at Your Place Church. You can belong. If you're just looking for a good group of people to hang out with, you can belong before you believe. So I don't know if, uh, if you have a church home. If not, we just say welcome home. Uh, our service times are the same uh, every weekend as they are this weekend. Um, we're, just, we're just happy you're here. If you have been with us, then um, you know that we're actually in part three of a series that we've entitled The Easter Story. And I typically don't like to start or be in the middle, sorry, of a series on Easter because we know there's a lot of new people who typically will show up on Easter. And I don't like to be in the middle of a series. We want to start a series. But we think that... that it's, I mean, honestly, it's just the way it happened. Um, we, we've been talking about the events uh, leading up to the cross uh, and what's going to happen. And next week, we're actually going to talk about the 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead. Uh, I'm super excited about that. But um, some of you may find it hard to believe that Jesus, when he walked the earth, actually could not be killed. He couldn't be murdered. In fact, if you go back and read the accounts yourself, there were several attempts on his life. Um, And the Bible says that Jesus just turned around and walked through the midst of the crowds. Angry mobs. I mean, they were drug him to the edge of the town. They were going to throw him off a cliff. And then all of a sudden just stopped and were puzzled. And Jesus just walks through the midst of them. Well, why is that? It's because Jesus had one assignment, and he, he could not be murdered. He, he was going to lay his life down for all of humanity. 
And during this series, we've been talking about the month of Nisi or Nisan, which is the first month in the Jewish calendar. It just happens to fall typically in April. Sometimes it falls in, in, in March uh, of our calendar. But last Sunday was Nisan 10, and on, in the Jewish calendar, on Nisan 10, that's when every household is supposed to pick out a lamb, which they will celebrate in just a few days, the Passover celebration. Well, on Nisan 10, the week before Jesus was crucified, Jesus comes riding in on a donkey, basically announcing to everyone that he himself is the Passover lamb for all eternity. He's going to be sacrificed once and for all to end all sacrifices. And the people celebrated. Well, Monday, so that was Sunday, on Monday, if, you, if you're tracking along in your Bible, on Mark Uh, Mark chapter 11 begins to talk about the Holy Week. In Monday, um, Jesus curses the fig tree and walks into the temple and chases out the money changers, saying that my father's house shall be a house of prayer. On Tuesday that week, uh, we see the whole withered fig tree and the conversation that Jesus teaches his disciples about faith. On Wednesday, uh, there's dinner at Simon the leper's house and the woman breaking the alabaster flask of very costly, fragrant oil over Jesus' head to, to prepare him for his burial and some of the interaction Jesus had with his disciples over that. On Thursday, we see the betrayal of Jesus, the Last Supper, and then, of course, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And for those of you who worshiped with us last weekend, we actually received and partook of communion uh, together as a church family last week in, in remembrance of what Jesus did. Which brings me to the evening of Nisan 14, that Thursday night, um, and honestly takes us right up to the cross, which it's only fitting that today being Easter, we talk about this. Amen. So let's pray. Father, we love you. We're so thankful for the story of Jesus because it's not just a story. It's not folklore. It's not legend, Father. This is actually recorded and documented history, Father. We have more actual historical data about the life of Jesus than any other moment in history, Father. So, Father, we thank you that we have an opportunity to serve a living God. He's no longer in the grave. He did come back to life. He did rise again and paid the price and sealed redemption for every single one of us. And Father, today as we're not wrapping up the story, Father, it's just part three of what you're doing in the lives of the people of your place, church, and really in the lives of humanity. Father, I pray that as we read these scriptures today, Father, even if we're very familiar with this, Father, even if we haven't been in church or are on the fence whether or not you're real or not, God, I pray that there's something about this story, there's something about these scriptures that come alive to us today. God, we honor you and we worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever had someone break a promise to you? A brother, you know what I mean? Your brother, like, you help me clean my room, I'll help you clean yours, right? And then he doesn't, right? Uh, maybe it was a, a co- you know a coworker. Uh, you guys are going to work on a project together. Like, hey, listen, you help me finish my end. I'll help you finish yours. And he doesn't. Or, or maybe it was a, an employer tells you that you're next in line for a promotion or a raise, and it never comes. Maybe it was a spouse who 
broke a wedding vow, which is one of the most solemn of all promises. I mean, you promised you would never leave, right? You would never forsake. You promised that. You said, till death do we part, and here we are. Uh, Maybe it was a father figure in your life who said that they would always be there for you, but just ended up never being there. I mean, we've all had people break promises, haven't we? Have we ever been the one who has broken a promise? I think all of us can remember a time when we were the ones who broke a promise. I mean, for most of us, isn't it true that when you made that promise, you had no intentions on breaking it? I mean, when you made a promise, there was nothing, there was no scenario that you could have imagined that would cause you to even have a desire to go back on your word. And we can't imagine a scenario that would cause us to break a promise. So, we make promises. Well, the same was true for several of the disciples on the night that Jesus was betrayed. We had this whole awkward scene with Jesus, and if you were here last week, we talked about John, kind of John's engagement. John was one of the 12 disciples. Um, John was really the only one in Scripture that records Judas getting up and leaving the table that night after Jesus calls him out, saying, what you're going to do, do it quick. And, and Judas Iscariot leaves, the one who would betray Jesus, right? We have that whole scene. We see uh, the whole Last Supper um, where Jesus has kind of one final meal with his disciples. And just as supper is finishing up, it kind of gets a little quiet. Jesus takes a breath. And in Mark chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, you will all fall away. Can you imagine the um, awkwardness in the room when Jesus said that? Uh, Jesus looks at all of his, I mean, his fellas, the guys who have left everything over the last three years and followed him, Um, the ones who watched the miracles, saw people being healed, watched thousands upon thousands of people follow Jesus, the ones who stayed up late around the campfire having intimate conversations with him, right? Yet, they knew enough that Jesus can't lie, and everything that he has predicted has come to pass. Can you imagine having this conversation and Jesus saying, oh, by the way, you're all going to desert me. You're all going to leave me. And it goes on to say in verse 3, so Jesus says, you'll all fall away, Jesus told them. Verse 3, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It goes on to say, I said verse 3, it was verse 27. Verse 28 goes on to say, but after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. It's almost like he was trying to give them a little bit of comfort here. Listen, you're all going to fall away. It's okay because when I come back, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee And it's like he almost tried to finish what he was about to say before one of his disciples kind of butts in. Verse 29, Peter declared, even if I'll fall away, I won't, right? Like, Peter is like just shocked by the statement. Jesus is like, it's okay, guys. Uh, After I rise again, I'm going to go ahead of you to Galilee, and and I'm not going to fall away. Right? Peter just makes this bold declaration. I'm not going to go. Even if I'll fall away, I'm not going to do it. Jesus looks at him, truly I tell you, Jesus answered. You can imagine just kind of the the scene. Today, Peter, yes, tonight, before the roaster crows 
uh, cruise, crows twice, you yourself will disown me three times. But Peter insisted emphatically, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the others said the same thing. And I can imagine in that moment, they could not imagine a scenario that would cause them to even consider falling away. I mean, just one chapter before this, Peter made a powerful statement to Jesus. He said in, in Mark chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. In other words, our whole lives have been put on hold. Our whole lives have been put on pause. Like some people, they left their homes, they left their families um, to follow Jesus on his crusades across the Middle East. And what they're saying in that moment, it's a statement that's like, we've come too far, Jesus. We've come too far. We've invested way too much um, to, to go back now. Have you ever felt like that? Like you've spent too much time, you've invested too much money, you've got too much of your personal commitment into something to, to go back now. I mean, it makes me, it makes me think about people who honestly um, have given up in some of the relationships in their lives. Did you know that the second most likely time for a married couple to get divorced is not like just, you know, a couple of years after marriage. That's, I mean... If you can make it the first seven years, statistically speaking, you have a more than likely chance that you're going you're gonna to go the distance. The second most tempting time for people who are in a love relationship, a husband and wife, to actually get a divorce, empty nesters. Empty nesters. Like in my thought, I mean, we're just now kind of entering those years. But in my thought, it's like all the hard parts are over, <laughs> right? Like all, you made it. You, you, you made it. I mean, you know, you've, you've got past the, 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 the wealth building years. Your kids are off to college. There's no more practices, no more games, no more recitals, no more homework, no more junior high breakups, teenage drama, no more braces, no more wisdom teeth, no more tonsil remover, removals, no more minivans, amen. Like you made it. You got through the hardest part. But statistically speaking, what researchers have found out is when our children are little and growing up through those years, typically the husband or whoever the breadwinner of the two is focuses their whole life on their career while the one who stays at home focuses their life on the children and just, just grow apart during those times. The only thing that we had in common were the kids, and now that the kids are gone, we wake up and we look at each other and we're like, who are you? It's the second most likely time for people to get a divorce. This is why my wife and I, we made a decision when our kids were very little. Listen, you guys are a temporary assignment. You're just going to grow up and leave. Like, I told my kids that. Like, well, that doesn't sound like love. It's, it's love. Trust me. We love them. I said, you're a temporary assignment. You're just going to grow up and leave. Your mom's going to be with me forever. So every, every week, we're going to spend a solid amount of time together. We called it a date day. 
Now, back in the days, like we didn't have any money to go on a, on a fancy date. So a lot of times we split a pint of Ben and Jerry's uh, fudge brownie ice cream and a plastic or a wooden, whatever that wooden thing is that they, you know, sometimes give you with an ice cream. We would just walk around the park and share a pint of ice cream. What it was, it was just a focus on each other. It was a time for each other because we knew that when those kids are gone, this is all we're going to have. So it better work. Amen, everyone. Now, I realize there's a lot of people in the room who've experienced marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And listen, uh, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. I have no idea what brought you to, the, to this, you know, this time of your life. I, I don't know what they did or you did. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Can I tell you this, though? The one that you have right now, they're the one. <laughs> they're the one. <laughs> you made a promise, amen? You made a promise. They're the one. And many of us have, have made promises in the past. Many of us have broken promises in the past. Well, what about your relationship with Jesus? I mean, several of us remember a time when we had an encounter with Jesus. I mean, even if you haven't been to church in years, many of us in this room, we remember a moment when nothing else in the world mattered. I mean, maybe it was a summer camp experience, a Wednesday night service, a revival that your church held. And the presence of God was so real to you. You felt something. Something was said. You saw something. You had an experience. And Jesus in that moment became very, very real. And that day or that night, you made a promise, man, as long as I draw breath, Lord, I'm going to serve you for the rest of my life. And in that, in that scenario, you couldn't imagine a time when you would go back on that promise. You couldn't imagine a season of your life where worshiping God wouldn't be the most important thing you ever did. Yet many of us are here today. Do we, do we still feel that way? And if not, my question to all of us in all of our services is what changed? Was it a college professor who made you consider that scientifically most of what you read in Scripture isn't humanly possible? I mean, it took science a really, really long time to figure out how a bumblebee can fly. It's a little, little fat body, just doesn't match its wings, but now they, they figured it out, but it took them a really long time. Scientifically speaking, they can't explain why hundreds of unintelligible signals from space keep flashing and hitting the earth. I mean, all day, every day, they call them FRBs, fast radio bursts, and they're brief, brilliant emissions of radio light that release enough energy to power 500 million suns. They can't figure it out. They don't know where it's coming from. They don't actually know why we have to sleep. They don't understand why we dream. Science can't explain why a cat purrs. They don't know why. They're like, oh, we can't, we can't, I think it's having a good time. Like, we don't know. We just, we, they just can't explain it. Science can't explain the placebo effect. Take this pill. It's a miracle pill. It'll work. It's made of sugar, right? And they, they oh man, doc, I feel better. We, we can't explain it. They can't explain it. Well, what changed? What changed for you? Was it a group of friends? Maybe, maybe you had this encounter with Jesus, but then you started, you know, hanging around a different group of people, and 
you really kind of started believing them and trusting them a little bit more. And maybe one of them had an encounter with, you know, a group of people who refer to themselves as Christians. But they didn't act the way that Jesus said Christians were supposed to act. And so for whatever reason, they had a bad encounter. And now you, because you hung out with them, or maybe you were the ones that had a bad encounter. And so it doesn't matter what you felt on that revival or that summer camp or that youth experience. It all just changed because of people, not because of God. Are you with me, friends? Or was it because you haven't been in an, in an environment again where you felt that way like you did that day or that night and you kind of wrote it off as emotionalism? I just got, I just, I don't know, I just got caught up in the moment. Maybe other things became more important, a hobby, a job, a family. Maybe there was tension in your previous church. Maybe there was some drama there, whatever. But you thought never, never in a million years can I imagine a scenario where anything would be more important to me than my heavenly father. And then we wake up one day and we're like, well, I believe there's something out there. I just don't know who or what. Peter felt the same way. Peter felt the same way. There was not a, a, a scenario that he could imagine ever turning his back on Jesus. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to break that promise. And then, of course, the next few hours, it proves to be true. Verse 32, they went to a place called Gethsemane. This is after dinner. Jesus tells his disciples that. He's like, now let's go pray. <laughs> Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter. James, John, along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, you've got to understand, they've never seen Jesus this way before. Jesus has always been the confident leader. Jesus has always been the one that stood up in the crowds of thousands and just miracle after miracle after miracle happened. And so the disciples are watching Jesus almost just become overwhelmed, the Bible says, to the point of death. He said, you guys stay here. Keep watch. Keep watch. Going a little further, Jesus, it didn't say he kneeled. It didn't say he, you know, laid a blanket out and sat quietly. The Bible says he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Jesus knew full well what he was about to encounter. Verse 36, Abba, which means daddy. That word Abba, father, is daddy God. He's pleading to his father. He said, I know everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. That's a true statement. Everything is possible for God. And Jesus, in his lowest moment, right before all of, all of it goes crazy, he says, I know everything's possible for you. Take this cup from me. And it was true. I mean, we can, we can look in our scriptures back in Matthew chapter 26, um, Jesus told Satan, don't you know I could call at any second, I can call to the Father and he'll, he'll send me 12 legions of angels. Jesus, with one whisper of his request, 
that whole scene would have been over because anything's possible with God. But look what he says. Yet not what I will, but yet what you will. See, if Jesus had done that, we wouldn't be sitting here today saved, forgiven, redeemed. Amen, everyone? Verse 37, then when he returned to his disciples, he found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. And then look at this statement. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That statement right there is the number one reason why people would even consider breaking their promises. Because the, the spirit, the real you, is willing, but the flesh is weak. So many of us spend more time gratifying the fleshly side of our lives than prioritizing the true spiritual side of us. That's why so many people say, well, I'm just not going to go to church. It's, it's full of hypocrites. How many's heard that statement before? Church is full of hypocrites, right? Can I tell you what I believe? I don't believe the church is full of hypocrites. I believe the world is full of hypocrites because the you who you are in church is the real you. You don't, you're not a hypocrite until you go out there. Because when you're in here, when you're in worship, this is the real you, not out there. Once more, verse 39 says, he went away and prayed the same thing. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were so heavy. I've been there. Have you been there? Right? They didn't, they didn't know what to say to him, right? Jesus calls them out. Are you guys sleeping again? So many times when we're caught in, in something we're not supposed to be doing, we, don't, we know we're caught. We don't want to admit that we're caught, so we just make excuses, right? These guys, they, didn't, they just didn't know what to say. I mean, what are you going to tell the master? Returning a third time, verse 41 says, he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! exclamation point. You can kind of see Jesus is a little frustrated here. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. He was betrayed in that moment. And of course, I'm sure Jesus, you know, here comes the lights. It's night like the torches, the angry mob. The whole thing gets real quick real fast, but everything that Jesus had foretold began happening in that moment. You know, when situations change on us, that's when we have a tendency to reevaluate our position in life. Well, I'm, I made that promise when, you know, when this was going on, but now that this isn't going on, I'm not, I'm not going to keep, I'm not going to keep that promise. And we live in a culture, in a world where actually keeping promises is more and more difficult. And here's what the sad part is. We're not upset when people don't keep their promises because we're used to it now. Are you with me, friends? Yeah. But I'm here to tell you that your heavenly Father never breaks a promise. If you're looking for someone to be faithful to you, Jesus 
is faithful to you. Your heavenly Father can and will never, ever. He can't break a promise. He won't break a promise. We see the next few hours, Jesus enduring something nothing short than brutal. He's tortured. He's lied about. He's spit on. He's whipped. He's mocked. They place a crown of thorns on his head because he was supposed to be the king of the Jews. And I'm not talking about little stickers that you get when you walk through a field. Little briars, you know. I'm talking about two to three inch spikes. They, they, there was a thorn. They were a thorn from a, a viney thorn. They fashioned it. And they, they, they didn't just set it delicately on his head. They pressed it between his skin and his skull. And they pushed it down over his head. Jesus was faithful to his word, even to his own hurt, all the way to the cross. Most of us in this room, we couldn't handle that kind of scourging. We don't even like any kind of temptation. Uh, a few weeks ago, I had a friend of mine come, and he grew up in, as a missionary's child in China. And uh, he started telling a story of an encounter where he met, I mean, he was 90 at the time. Actually, he was 91 at the time. This, this guy, he's, he, they were over in China smuggling Bibles in, and um, he, he, he's very detailed on how it happens. We show up, we're on a train, we've got, you know, We've got backpacks full of Bibles. We get out. Someone meets us there. We hand them the backpacks. They put them in, a, in an unmarked car, and they go someplace we don't even know where it is. We get back on the train. We go back. We wait for the next time. Well, one particular time, they made that exchange, and the person who was there to make the exchange says, oh, don't, don't you guys leave. Tonight, someone's coming to meet you personally. And what it was, it was this missionary who was called to China back in the 50s. And uh, he's, he's, he's building the Christian church in China. The Chinese government found out about it, showed up at his door and said, we want you to actually be China's representation of the, Chris, of the Christian church. Will you lead the Christian church for the Chinese government? And this pastor looks at him and says, well, I, I, am, I am called to build a church here in China but the church is not to be led by a government. It's to be led by Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, no, I won't build this for you. Well, they immediately took him into custody, and they threw him in prison for conspiring against the nation of China. Life in prison. He had a family, six little kids. And every single day, they'd come to him, and they told him, if you'll renounce Jesus, we'll turn you loose and you can go back to your family. And every single day he told them, I will not renounce my love for Jesus Christ. 20 years passed. His kids are no longer little, they're grown. 20 years passed. And about this time, the US, um, under the presidency of Richard Nixon, begins trade agreements with China. And one of the stipulations that you, the U.S. put on China had to do with human rights and how they treated, treated prisoners. They made a deal. You, you let this pastor go. He didn't even know about it. You let this person go, and we'll continue these trade agreements with you. They showed up. They didn't say anything about the U.S., and they said, we're going to let you go, but you don't ever preach in the name of Jesus again. But he knew later that, because when he got out, 
he found out that his name had become legend in the underground church of China because if he can do it, so can I. If he can endure 20 years of hardship, so can I. He was untouchable at that moment because China knew that if they did anything to him, the trade agreements were over. And so he was able to build that church in China. Well, he showed up that day at 90 years old with his little wife. And he came in and he says, I just want to shake the hands of the missionaries who are doing the work of God by bringing the gospel into China. And some of us, we forget, we don't even like to come to church sometimes because we're exhausted. It's our only day off. You know what I mean? Whatever the reason is. Does this make sense, friends? Jesus is actively keeping his promise here. In, in Mark chapter 14, verse 5, then everyone deserted him and fled. Jesus gets taken into custody. This whole thing, the whole jury scene goes down. Jesus is standing before the council. He's actively keeping his promise, and the very ones that he said would, would leave him did. Mark chapter 14, verse 6. While Peter was below in the courtyard, Jesus is enduring this experience. One of the servant girls of the high priest came by. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked closely at him. You also were with the Nazarene Jesus, she said, verse 68. But he denied it. I don't, I don't know or understand what you're talking about, he said. He went out into the entryway, and when the servant girl saw him there, she said again to those standing around, this fellow is one of them. Verse 70, again, he denied it. He's not even the one going through the persecution. Like Jesus is up there giving his life for everybody. Verse 70, he, again, he denied it. After a little while, those standing near said to Peter, surely you're the one of them. For you are a Galilean. He began to call down curses and swore to them, I don't know this man you're talking about. See, when he was with Jesus, he couldn't imagine a scenario that would ever cause him to betray Jesus or to, or to flee. But yet here he is in this chaos, in this pandemonium. I don't even know who, who you're talking about. Immediately, the rooster crowed the second time. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows twice, you will disown me three times. The Bible says, and he broke down and wept. I don't know what would cause anybody to break a promise. I don't know what has to change in our lives for us to go back on our word. I do know that there's a myriad of excuses why. But at the end of the day, Jesus followed through. He followed through. Amen, everyone? Amen. They nailed him to the cross. And he gave his life for all of humanity. The sacrificial lamb that we heard about on week one on Nisan 10 that came in as the triumphant sacrificial lamb right here on the afternoon of Nisan 15. The Bible says in Mark 15, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Jesus is on the cross. Tara and I were reading this story this morning, and we found out that there's actually a Roman historian 
who wrote in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, there was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun. They're nowhere near this, right? I mean, they are, but like they're, they're not aware of what's going on. There was an extraordinary eclipse of the sun at the sixth hour. The day turned into dark night so that the stars in heaven were seen and there was an earthquake. It was a part of historical facts, just like Jesus is a part of historical facts. Amen, everyone. In three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, and the Jewish phrase was, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When some of those standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. Someone ran, filled a sponge with wine vinegar, put it on a staff, a staff offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone. Let's see if Elijah comes and takes him down, they said. Verse 37, with a loud cry, Jesus, for the first time since he had been born, after all the attempts on his life, none of them successful, because he, he chose to lay his life down. The Bible says, with a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And in that moment, started redemption. So many of us, we, we, we celebrate the cross, and it is, it, is a, it, is, it is something to be celebrated because Jesus gave his life. But if Jesus just died on the cross, our sanctification, our redemption would be incomplete. He had to rise again. He had to come back from the grave. He had to walk the earth again. And as we will learn next week, there is something very symbolic about what happened in those moments. And what happened in just minutes after Jesus came back to life. John chapter 20, if you've been reading the story with us, then you know John is the one who had just a little bit closer glimpse of the life of Jesus. The Bible says in John chapter 20, verse 1, early on the first day of the week, Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, you know, the one that Jesus loved. Talking about John. John's the one writing the story, right? Said they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they've put him. Verse 3, so Peter and the other disciple started to the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple, he outran Peter. <clears throat> He's fast. He'd been working out. He, out. he outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen laying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen laying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still laying in its place separate from the linen. There's significance there. The Bible doesn't leave anything, doesn't add anything just for your, like there's significance to that. Finally, the other disciple, finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, uh, also went inside, and he saw, and he believed. 
The scripture says they still didn't understand from, from, from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying and they told everybody, Jesus rose from the dead. Guys, it's true. It's true. He came back. And they began to celebrate this everywhere they went. Jesus rose from the, from the grave for you and for I. There is no other religion that worships a God who came back from the dead to pay the price. Some people ask, well, why did Jesus, I don't even get it. Why did Jesus even have to go to the cross? You got to understand uh, scripture and you got to understand the way the things were set up in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. There had to be retribution for sin. And the payment for sin was always and has always been death. And God's a just God. So if he said it, that's it. It's got to be done. And so the death of an animal was a way of just covering the sins of humanity. But if God could come to earth himself, walk a sinless life, lay his life down for all humanity and pay the ultimate price and become the sacrifice of all sacrifices, then that perfect blood, that sinless blood, would be laid once and for all on the mercy seat of Christ. And you will be saved. Amen. He followed through. And he's still keeping his promises today, friends. I, I don't know your story. I don't know the promises you've made and kept or the promises you've made and broke or, or who you've broken promises to. I don't know if you've had an experience or an encounter with a living Savior before or not. I do know that every person that walks the planet is a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen. And Jesus Christ paid the price for you. And like we're saying, we believe that today is somebody's that day. When this story comes alive to you, and Jesus changes everything for you. Amen, everyone? Will you bow your heads with me? We don't want to take a chance that there's somebody in the room today who maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this part of the story. We don't want to take a chance that there's somebody in the room who made a promise years ago when they had an encounter that was real and authentic and very moving to them, but for whatever reason, time passed, and maybe it was college, maybe it was after, maybe it was high school, maybe it was, maybe it was someone broke a promise to you, and so, man, if God's real, then why? All of those things has brought you to this moment right here where your heavenly Father is waiting. If you've never made a, a, uh, a commitment to follow Jesus, if you've never given your life to him, we don't want to embarrass you. We don't want you to stand up and come forward or leave the room. We believe that what can happen can happen between you and your heavenly Father right there, right now.
Some of you, you need Jesus. If you died right now, you'd split hell wide open. You would hit it so hard. Quite honestly, all of us would without Jesus. So if you, if you need Jesus, or you need to rededicate your life to him today, I just want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. I'm just going to look all over the room and just see who I can pray for. Thank you. Anybody else? You need Jesus? Thank you. You can put your hands down. Thank you. Anybody else? Put it right back down. Let me, let me thank you. Thank you. You can put your hands right back down. Anybody else like that? See, we're not going to embarrass you. I just want to know who I can pray for. Come on, don't leave Easter 2022. Thank you. Without this opportunity. Thank you. People giving their lives to Jesus right here. Thank you. You can put your hand down. Anybody else like that? This is the moment. This is the day that everything changes for you. Thank you. Jesus keeps his promises. And he always will. Thank you. In the back. Thank you. Anybody else like that? Anybody else? I don't want to to run the chance. See, I told you we weren't going to embarrass you. But what happens in the next few minutes is just as real as it can get. I'm not saying you're going to see a flash of light. I'm not saying you're going to hear an audible voice. But you're going to leave this place different today. And if you will give us the opportunity and just come back, we will help you in your Christian walk. We'll give you some stuff that will help you free of charge. We're not going to charge you. We're just going to give it to you that will help you in your Christian walk. If you raised your hands, or you should have raised your hands, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. And because this is such an important experience, I'm just going to ask everybody in the room to say this out loud with me. And if you lifted your hands, or you should have, I want you to connect your heart to these words. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die and rise again for me. He paid the price for my sin. And right now, I'm asking you to forgive me of my past. I'm choosing today. This is the promise. I'm choosing today to spend the rest of my life in a relationship with you. Help me. Lead me. In Jesus' name. Amen.